You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Well, we are in a series here this morning. We are talking about the honor of God. And uh, I want to begin this morning in 2 Timothy. I'm going to start in chapter 3, and I'm going to read this out of the New Living and I'll try not to wander around too much. Um, but in this passage, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a young minister, to a young uh, preacher. I believe Timothy was both pastor, and I think he was evangelist at one point, but I know he was a pastor, and he was a young man. And uh, he's giving him advice, and he tells him this in verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now we'll pause just long enough to recognize we live in those days. Um, I could give you a longer answer. Uh, the short answer, that's a, a Jewish term. Um, they recognize, in Jewish prophecy, they recognize that a thousand years with the Lord, or a, th- a day with the Lord is as a thousand years with us. Peter talked about that, but he was quoting the Psalms when he said that. And if you start studying prophecy in the Old Testament, and especially what some of the rabbis had put together, they recognize that uh, there's a pattern in the Garden of, of Eden in creation, that uh, each day of creation is representative of a thousand years. And so you could have a lot of fun with that, and there's a lot of things we could study. But in Jewish prophecy, they they knew and recognized that the Messiah was going to come at the end of day four, which would be the end of 4,000 years, which, by the way, is exactly when the Messiah did come. He was right on time. And they knew that. And some were looking. If you remember, there's even some referenced in the New Testament and the Gospels. There were a couple of them that were looking and watching for the Messiah to come. They knew he was supposed to come. Um, I believe, well, I'll say this, many, many of the Jews of that day and this day have recognized that Jesus did come and that he is the Messiah. But for the most part, they now maintain, I'm talking about the Jews, that uh, the Messiah did not come as prophesied. And I think the reason they give is they weren't ready. I believe. I'm not positive. You can check me on that. But they they knew he was supposed to come at the end of what they called day four, the end of 4,000 years. Now they also recognize the Messiah will come at the end of day six. Um, To them, they think it's his first coming. We know, scripturally speaking, it's his second coming. Um, and again, he will come right on time. Uh, it, it will be at the end of day six, but it's a prophetic picture. So it, it was actually the rabbis then that came up with this phrase that, that he's quoting, the last days. In Scripture, the last days are days five and six. It's the two-day period between his first coming and his second coming. We live in the last days. That's what Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost saying, this is it. And that was one of the things. They entered into the last days. We live at the last of the last days, is how I've heard it said. And I like that. We're at the last of the last days. So what he's talking about here is indicative of the day we live in. But it does seem to me that the closer we get to the end of the last days, 
the bigger this is, the more relevant this is, the even more pronounced this becomes, speaking of the day we live in. Let's read through this and see if you agree with me on that. Uh, verse 2, he says, For people will love only themselves and their money. I'll pause there. Now, I'm not trying to make a, a huge spiritual point about this. In fact, I find it kind of humorous. But only in recent years have we become so much go with me on this, lovers of ourselves, that now we don't even ask other people to take our picture. We take pictures of ourselves, And what do we call it? Selfies. Again, not trying to make a huge spiritual point, but wow! <laughs> Just saying. I don't know. I'm not saying it's wrong to take your picture, but wow! Why are you taking it? Let's put it that way. Anyway. People will be lovers of themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents. Seems like I got a reaction there. <laughs> Here's one. Ungrateful. I've been pointing out that one a lot recently um, in various messages and in various ways. If we don't make a conscious decision to resist these things and not be these things, just by the virtue of the fallen world we live in, we'll slip into them without realizing it. And ungrateful is one of them. This is a, becoming a very bad thing in our culture. Um, and I won't, I won't go down that rabbit trail, but you know what I mean. Um, a lot of people just think everything's owed to them and they're not thankful for anything. We choose not to be that way. We make it a point to be grateful for everything that God has done, is doing, and will do for us. We choose to be grateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Kind of what I'm really wanting to look at this morning. The God's Word translation says they will have no respect for what is holy. They'll consider nothing sacred. That's very much a sign of our, of our day. Let's keep going. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. And I just say, social media. Wow. You're with me. I'm not going to go down that trail either. I got somewhere I want to get and I'm being tempted to go a lot of different ways. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. You know what's he say? Stay away from people like that. We like to think that we're the influencers, but at the same time, you've got to guard what's influencing you. Be mindful of what's influencing you. So when you read this passage, and I'm coming at it through the lens of honor, through the lens of respect or disrespect, and so you look at something like this, scoffing at God, lack of respect, disobedient to parents, lack of respect, uh, no respect for what is holy, hello, um, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous to others, all of this is lack of respect. It's disrespect. So, isn't it interesting in there, he said that they wouldn't have any self-control. Now, I've made the comment, if, 
we tend to think of showing honor, showing respect in the things that we say and in the things that we do. But I've also pointed out there are times that we show respect in the things we choose not to say, in the things we choose not to do. And what does it take to do that? Self-control. There are times we just, we rein it in and we choose to show honor sometimes when we know it's due, but we're not feeling like it. Come on, we all get in that situation. So with that in mind, um, recently in the last couple of messages, I believe we were looking at a tone of disrespect in words that are spoken and a tone of disrespect. What I want to do this morning, parallel to that, is I want to go back to the origin. Where did disrespect start? Now, I'll make a statement that I'm pretty sure we'll all agree on. Pretty sure. If we go back literally to the beginning of man's existence, and we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you can read the creation account in the book of Genesis, on day one God created this, and on day two God created. At the end of day one He said, it is good. At the end of day two He said, and it is good. And day three, he created. It is good. Four or five. Day six, he creates man. Then he sits back and he says, it's very good. And then day seven, he rested. In that picture that's painted in the book of Genesis, is there any disrespect in the garden that God created? I would say no. God didn't create disrespect. He didn't create dishonor. And I would present to you that it was not present in the good and even very good things that God created. Okay, well then, when did it show up? When did disrespect come on the scene? This is not a trick question. I bet all of you could answer. When the devil showed up. Genesis chapter 3. The moment he opened his mouth, disrespect showed up on the scene. I will look at it. Genesis 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent, this is referring to the devil, was more cunning than any of the other beasts of the field, referring to the members of his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he opened his mouth. And I so want to put a tone, a real weaselly, whiny tone. I don't know what his voice sounds like, but that's what I hear. I don't know what you hear in your ears. I hear a weaselly, whiny tone. I don't know. Bear with me. But anyway, he says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And there it is. Our first example of disrespect in the Bible. And he is doing what? Questioning what God has said. So here's my first point this morning on the origin of disrespect. Disrespect questions. Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying that all questions are bad and you should never question anything. That's not what I mean. This is a particular kind of question, and I would say it is not a genuine question. He is not asking a question because there's something he doesn't know, and so he's trying to get an answer to learn something that he doesn't know. That's not what this is. This question, he's actually baiting. He is 
asking the question in the way to try and draw an answer that he's looking for out of Adam and Eve. In a, uh, in a courtroom of law in this country, that's called leading the witness. And you're not allowed to do that. That's what he's doing here. So he's not really looking for an answer. His question is designed to produce the answer he wants. And his question is designed to cast doubt in Adam and Eve on not just the words of God, but the character of God. In a sense, he's leading the witness. Furthermore, do you hear the the tone? I almost hear a tone of defiance. Because it's implied clearly in the question, no, no he didn't. God didn't really say that. You can eat from any tree you want to. In fact, in that implication, in the reference there in that question, it's almost like he's saying, "Ah, you do what's right for you. That's not something new in our generation today. It started in the garden. No, that's not what he meant. You do what's right for you. Are you following me? So, it's the same tone. This is not not new. We see that same uh, tone, the same technique from the devil in other places in Scripture. Um, if you went to uh, the wilderness in the Gospels when Jesus was tempted by the devil, you'll see the same tone, the same type of question. Uh, he went to Jesus and said, if you really are the Son of God, I'm paraphrasing, turn these stones to bread. What's the implication? You're not really. If you are, prove it. Like we have to prove anything to him. And and same thing, if you really are the Son of God, jump off the pinnacle of this temple. You won't hit the ground. Angel will, angels will catch you if you're really who you think you are. It's that same type of tone. Um, another example toward the end of the Gospels, when Jesus was crucified, there was a thief on each side of him. And you remember what one of them said? It's in Luke 23, 39. It says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. It's that same implication. No, you're not. If you really are, prove it. Well, save yourself. <laughs> and while you're at it, save me. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, prove it. Uh, verse 40, but then the other criminal answered, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? He made a connection. Seeing you are under the same condemnation. Did you catch? He said, do you not even fear God? He recognized you're being disrespectful to him. That's dishonorable. And it's a lack of the fear of the Lord. We, we actually already talked about that. It's the lack of the fear of the Lord. You could say it this way. Do you not even have any reverence for God? It's the same thing. So he says, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You catch the other criminal, completely different tone. He says, we're 
hanging here on these crosses? Because uh, we deserved it. This is what we deserved because of what we did. He didn't do anything. See, his tone's very different. Um, then he says to Jesus in verse 42, instead of calling him a name or something, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a little bit going on in there. First of all, he humbled himself by acknowledging, I deserve this. Then he acknowledged who Jesus was, and he called him Lord. And you catch that third part. He didn't say, and if you come into your kingdom, what did he say? When you come into your kingdom. Those were words of faith. He had faith in Jesus. He said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Completely different heart. And remember what this whole series is built on from 2 Samuel. God says, those who honor me, I will honor. Did Jesus honor this criminal who came before him in humility? Not physically, but with his words. <laughs> Jesus said to him in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And he was. Where'd the other guy end up? Well, it doesn't tell us. But there's only two possibilities. And there's nothing in there to lead me to believe that the first guy repented. And uh, I'm left to believe he ended up in the other place. But the one who humbled himself before Jesus, honored him for who he was, and asked for him to remember him, ended up in paradise. Abraham's bosom. I love that. So anyway, back to the Garden of Eden. Let's get back to where we started. The first characteristic we saw is that disrespect questions. And not just a genuine question, but it's that almost a dishonest question, a leading question. So let's pick it up in verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent says to the woman, You will not surely die. There's my second point. Disrespect contradicts. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe you're having a conversation with someone, and it almost doesn't matter what the conversation's about. They're just going to take the other side for no other purpose than to argue with you. You ever been on the receiving end of one of those? And let's not point fingers. Have you ever been that person? It doesn't matter what we're talking about. I'm taking the other side. Even if I know I'm wrong, I'm going to defend my position to the best of my ability. Some of you are laughing and some of you are looking at me kind of funny. And all I'm going to say is, if you're married, I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about. I think we've all been there. Now I got smiles across the room. Okay, enough said. Not pointing any fingers. Just saying, we've all been there. How many times? You find out, maybe halfway through the conversation, you realize, oh man, they're right. But are you going to admit it? 
Are you going to humble yourself? And how many times have we just said, no, I'm going to fight this one. I'm going to die on this hill. Are, are you with me? Are you with me? Why? Let's be honest. Why do we do that? That's the nature of flesh. That, that's the sin nature in fallen flesh. And we just need to call a spade a spade. That's not the God nature in us. No, that's the other one. It's the flesh nature. Nature of the flesh. And uh, not that you need reminded, but I'll remind you. Uh, you got flesh. I got flesh. There's only one way to get rid of that nature at this point in your life. Get rid of your flesh. I'm not recommending you do that. I'm just feel like I'm digging a hole. Let's keep going. There's something about flesh. It just wants to say wrong is right, left is right, right is left, up is down, hot is cold. When you're tempted to do that, just recognize what it is. It's just my flesh. And it's pushing me to do a wrong thing. So what did he say? He says, uh, you'll not surely die. What's implied in that? He's saying, no, 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 no. That's not true. Now, God said if you eat of it, you'll surely die. No, you won't die. The implication is, God lied to you. But God's a liar. That's disrespectful. And any implication is, you need to listen to me. I know better. Trust my words and don't listen to God because he's lying to you. He's holding out on you. He's not telling you the whole truth. And he's keeping back some of the good stuff for himself. But if you'll listen to me, I can get you the good stuff. That's all kind of implied in there. Hmm. Verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's all, all kinds of misleading. I look at that statement and I'm thinking, most of that's a lie. He says, for one, their eyes were already open. They saw clearly. And number two, they were already like God. They were made in His image and in His likeness. They were clothed in His glory. They were already like God. The only thing in there that might be true, they knew good. It might be true they didn't know evil. That word know there is the Hebrew word yada. It means not only to know or to perceive, it can also be translated to experience. It is possible maybe they knew about evil, but they had not experienced it. That's about all I can give him on that statement. That really the only thing he had to offer them was, listen to me, and you can experience evil. That's all he's got in there. Hmm. So through disrespect, he's casting doubt on the character of God. What's one lesson we could take away from this? What should they have done? And this is really my second best answer of what should they have done. Walk away. Just end the conversation, turn around, and walk away. And I'll mention that one because there will be many times in our life where we find ourselves in a situation where the words and attitudes of disrespect are flying. 
And it's not always within our ability to stop it. So many times our best option is walk away. Remove yourself from the situation. Because hanging around and letting those words penetrate your ears can have a negative effect on you. Remember Proverbs 4.23. He says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That word keep is the Hebrew word nesar. It means to guard, to protect, to maintain, and to obey. And if you go read that passage in its entirety, he's talking about by what you see and what you hear. You guard what you let yourself look at. You guard what you let yourself hear because that's how things get in you. That's how they get in your mind and your mind is the gateway to your spirit. And that's how it's going to get in you. And there are times when you just don't need to hear those words and you just need to politely remove yourself from the situation. And they could have done that. Now, specifically in that situation, I think the best answer would have been if Adam would have stood up and done his job. He had been charged by God to keep and protect the garden. And he should have ran the devil out of it. He had the authority to do that. He could have sent him, can I say sent him packing? <laughs> Just ship him right back out of the garden and say, off you go. But he failed in his duty. He did not do that. So verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, who was standing right there watching the whole thing happen. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So prior to that moment, they were clothed with the very glory of God. But when they sinned, that cover of glory left, and they realized, uh-oh, <laughs> we naked. And I do find it humorous. This is not my message. Do what you want with this. But there are some who try to build the argument that we should all just be naked. Because after all, that's how God created them in the garden, Right? Well, let me point out, the moment they realized they were naked, how did they feel about it? First thing they did, find some fig leaves. Let's cover up. Why? Because they knew. That ain't right. This is shameful. They were covered a moment ago. Now they're uncovered. So uh, we, we better get covered. And if I remember, I'll point out a second one here. Uh, just a little later in the passage, but again, that's not my message today. But isn't it interesting? It didn't affect just them. I want to point that out. Did their sin affect anybody besides them? It affected all of us. It affected their seed. I could build a message on that. Here's my third point then in this heart right here. Disrespect ignores. When he came along with an alternate alternative theory, was there any confusion in Eve's part as to what God had said? The answer is no. She quoted 
Oh, no, no. We can eat from any tree we want to, but except for this one. Now, we can't eat from that tree and even touch it or we'll die. There was no confusion. She knew exactly what God had said. Yet, she took a bite. So, what's that mean? In order to go ahead and take that bite, she had to ignore what she knew God had said. So she had to ignore. It, she can't play ignorance on that part. Now she can play a little bit of an ignorance card, but not on that one. Because she knew clearly what he had said. So she had to ignore what he said. Put this in the context of honor. She decided to place a higher value on the devil's words than she placed on God's words. And she decided to follow the devil's words instead of God's. So she honored the devil's words and she dishonored God's words. Because remember, honor has a lot to do with weight. That's the literal translation from Hebrew is weight. That it has to do with value. And she placed higher value on the devil's words than God's words. Jump down to verse 13. I'm out of order a little bit. In verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And that is true. There's other verses in Scripture that tell us she was deceived. Adam was not. But she was deceived. But it's interesting. Um, Young's literal translation, which is a very accurate translation. It's not a very readable one. It's not one that you love to just sit down and read casually. But if you're studying, it really helps bring an understanding. Um, and it puts it this way. She says, the serpent caused me to forget. And I did eat. Or I do eat. That, that's kind of in a sense... Yeah, he caused me to forget what God said. Yeah, I forgot. Can, can we, can we bring this into everyday tangible terms? How about our kids? All you parents, you relate to this. I'll pick a modern example. Let's say I'm heading out the door in the summertime. The kids are going to be home all day. And I look at one of them and I say, now, while I'm gone today, Empty the dishwasher in the kitchen. Why do I use this example? I've been here. More than once. I'm not going to name any names, but I've been here. I get home at the end of the day. Has the dishwasher been emptied? No. And what is the answer we get? Oh, Dad, I forgot. And they're not lying. I'm not saying that at all. They forgot. But what is that? In this context, it's disrespect. They placed higher value on the things they wanted to do. Watch TV, play games. Are you with me? They placed higher value on their things than that one thing dad asked them to do. And so they placed a low value on dad and a high value on what they wanted to do. In this context, that's disrespect. Do you see it? Not picking on kids. We've all been there. Both sides of it. We've been kids. We've been, a lot, most of us have been parents. So I, I get it, but recognize it for what it is. It's disrespect. Do you see it? 
They're saying it's not important to them. You don't forget the things that are important to you. Dishwashing is just not important to them. I guess it's, now I'm wandering here. It's mom and dad's job to make it important to them. No. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you know what? If you had a rich relative call you on the phone one day and said, hey, I've just deposited a million dollars in the bank for you. I got your name on it. I want to give it to you. Meet me at the bank tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And it's all legit. Okay. How many of you would forget? I got one hand. I didn't think I'd get any hands. <laughs> That's an honest hand. <laughs> but what's the reality? You don't forget what's important to you. So anyway, so disrespect ignores. It places low value on those things. Last point. I got one more point and we'll wrap this up this morning. Back up to where I left off, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, well, the woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Let me slip it in here real quick, back to my we should all be naked idea. That's not my idea. Be careful how I say that. Here's the second example. Why are they hiding from God? We're naked. So that should tell you something. If you keep reading in this passage, do you remember what God did in order to fix the nakedness? He took the fig leaves off, if you look this up, and gave them I want to say leather. He clothed them with animal skin. Where do you suppose that came from? Animal gave its life to clothe them. And there's the first example of animal sacrifice in the Bible. And it was for the atonement of sin. Just like he established 2,000 years later with the law of Moses. Actually, all through that. It started right there in the garden. What's the penalty of sin? Death. Something had to die, in this case, to make a temporary covering for the sin. Not my message, but just point it out. All that to say, um, when I look at the garden, I don't see the nudity as being acceptable. It was something they kept trying to fix. So, that was free. Not worth the price of coming to church today, but the rest of this is pretty good. <laughs> Back to my point then. Disrespect will deflect. That's what's going on in this passage. When God comes walking in the garden and he starts yelling, Adam, where are you? In a sense, that's not a genuine question either. Why? He knows where Adam is. He's not trying to learn something he doesn't know. But what's he trying to do? What's God trying to do? He's trying to create an, an opportunity 
for Adam to, can I say it this way? A man up. Grieved a woman up and own it. Come clean before God and repent. God, we screwed up. We blew it. He's trying to create an opportunity for them to, to step forward and take responsibility for what they did. So he's yelling, Adam, where are you? And he says, well, uh, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because, well, we're naked. So he tries again. Why are you naked? Who told you you're naked? Still no answer. Did you eat of the tree? He's trying so hard to get them to own it. And they wouldn't do it. What's it mean to deflect? To change direction by interposing something. To cause someone to deviate from an intended purpose. In other words, God's looking for a specific answer. And Adam refuses to give it. He won't just own it. The best answer? I'm right here. And I messed up. Come clean and repent. Mm. So anyway, he's trying to deflect. Um, when hiding doesn't work, then he starts giving excuses. Still not owning it. He's giving excuses. Um, and it, it's interesting to me. A lot of people read that and they, they blame the woman. Well, you know, it was a woman's fault. And she gave me the fruit. I don't actually read that in there. He, he didn't just say the woman. He said, the woman you gave me. She gave me fruit and I did eat. Who's he blaming? God. You know, if you hadn't given me this woman, I wouldn't be in this mess. Maybe I was better off without her. Maybe God, you need to fix the mistake you made and we'll be good. That's brazen. The woman you gave me. Well, he's deflecting. In a sense, I know the answer you're looking for, but I refuse to give it. Hmm. What's at the root of that? And we'll close this this morning. Why is he deflecting? What's at the root of it? Pride. Pride. It takes humility and honesty just to answer the question. And as I've been trying to say, own it. Why did he not want to? Because in this case, the truth made him look bad. And in his pride, he wouldn't own it. I've said this before. One of the definitions of humility is truth. The humble position is to say, God, I did this, it was wrong, I messed up. What is that really? The truth. Sometimes the truth makes us look bad. Why? Because what we did was bad. It's the truth. But humility isn't defending me, trying to make me look good. At the end of the day, humility loves truth. Pride will always deal with deception. Well, I'm, I'm going to close here this morning. Here's a quick review. Number one, disrespect questions. The leading question. Disrespect will contradict. Disrespect will ignore. And disrespect will deflect. So, not to end on a negative note, but what do we take away from this? 
we want to be a people who honor Him. So with a knowledge of these types of things, we can begin to recognize disrespect in our own selves. Are any of those things present in us? Have we ever been in those situations? And the reality is we've been in many of them. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we're loving truth, then we recognize these things and say, God, help me deal with that. It's my heart's desire to honor you, to reverence you, to respect you. Help me recognize when the flesh in me is doing the very opposite. And then give me the grace to deal with it and the grace to live uprightly before you and to grow in honor and respect. God said, those who honor me, I will honor. That statement is variable. Because if you keep reading, he goes negative. Those who dishonor me, I will dishonor. So it's variable. So I like to go the other direction. Those who honor me more, I will honor more. The more we honor him, the more we enable him to honor us. Amen? Amen. Praise God.